Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I'm Bailiff Jesse Thorne. We're in chambers this week, clearing the docket. And with me is Brooklyn's only podcaster, (laughs) Judge John Hodgman. That's right. Look, I was up in Maine and then I got a a telegram saying Brooklyn has no podcasts. It said, please send podcasts, comma, lobster rolls. So I hopped into my Mitsubishi Delica, zoomed down the coast. That was just a little, I know, I got you thinking about a Mitsubishi Delica. So I'm going to be in my in my Delica subreddit looking at Delicas now. A Delica is a Japanese adventure van. <laughs> like you need to say more words after that. I just couldn't love looking at them more. Except for, John, do you know about Subaru Sambar Classic? No. What's that all about? It's even better than a Delica. For me, I'm it's kidding. not better than a Delica for practical purposes, but it's also Japanese only. It's what they call a K-car. Right. Uh, which is a, a class of car in Japan that has a sort of very small engine that's encouraged by tax and emissions laws. Yep. And uh, it's an adorable van yep. uh, that is actually quite tiny, uh, but yep. also immensely capable. But unfortunately, after learning that there was uh, one for sale at an, at an extraordinarily affordable price right near my home, I learned that they cost uh, about five to $10,000 to bring to California emissions standards. Oh, um, so you can't, yeah, obviously so that's I not going to work. It. Yeah, it's not, not going to work. I know that you love Mitsubishi Delicas. And for those who have not yet go- you know, pulled over to the side of the road to Google this vehicle, it looks like a 1980s sort of VW Vanagon style camper van, except it's about seven feet off the ground. Somehow yeah. it's seven feet off the ground, with wheels about the size of pancakes. Like it's yes. very, it's a very, and <laughs> silver dollar pancakes too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tiny, tiny little wheels, but it has off-roading capabilities. And we, I was thinking about it because we genuinely saw one on the road as we were, as we were speeding south from Maine to bring podcast to Brooklyn. And uh, my wife was like, what is that? And I said, it's a Mitsubishi Delica. And we both were like, how, how that thing does not tip over on any curve, I do not know. It is so top heavy. Yeah, how it reaches a speed above forty-five miles per hour is what I want to know. Oh, so beautiful! <laughs> I don't think that I was going to do about um, small cans of spicy hot V eight, which uh-huh. is. But we'll have to save that for next time because okay, we've Great. got a lot of justice to clear. And what I what I basically learned is small cans of spicy hot V eight will last. They'll keep until next time. They'll keep in your refrigerator for months and months until you discover them as a sweet surprise in the back of your fridge once you've come back from Maine to Brooklyn. That's all. Yeah. So I basically did it. When but. you need a little treat uh, while you look through pictures on uh, the Battle Wagons subreddit. It's another <laughs> oh, one no. I like. Okay, here's a case from Zoe. I recently mentioned to my husband that since I was about 10, when I see a late 90s Subaru Impreza wagon, particularly a red one, I see late 90s Christian Slater. The slicked back hair is an obvious parallel, (laughs) but it also appears to wear a slight sneer. My husband, who has had a crush on Slater roughly his whole life, disagrees, primarily due to being offended at the concept of a sexy man being compared to a vehicle. I know I'm right, and I'm willing to die on this hill. Now, they were 
kind enough to send us pictures of Christian Slater. Yes. I mean, well, I think we've all got a pretty good picture in our head of Christian Slater. Excuse me, Jesse. Let me interrupt for one moment. Zoe and their husband, not kind at all, did not send us photos of oh. either Christian Slater or the Subaru Impreza wagon. That was Jennifer Marmer who went out and sourced those photos. Thank you, Jennifer. I enjoyed their confidence that the slicked back hair on Christian Slater was an obvious parallel right. to the Subaru Impreza, <laughs> which if you haven't seen a Subaru Impreza, uh, a Subaru Impreza is a, uh, is a compact wagon. It's uh, you might be thinking of uh, a different 90 Subaru wagon, the legacy, which is a little bigger, okay. you know, it's more of a f- full size. This is like a, a, a sporty hatchback just, slash wagon kind of in just, between. We should just do car talk from now on. I mean, yeah. this is what this is the this is the podcast that Brooklyn wants. Yeah, <laughs> two guys talking about cars. Yeah, it's sporty. Now, look, here's what I, here's going to say. I don't think that there's anything for Zoe's husband to be offended by, vis-a-vis comparing a sexy man like Christian Slater to a car. <laughs> Anyone who remembers the 1980s Saturday morning cartoon Turbo Teen. About a <laughs> so both of you, <laughs> yeah. About a teen who's driving his cool sports car through a rainstorm, accidentally crashes into a science lab in the midst of a molecular transfer experiment, and gains the powers to turn into his car, and you see him transform his hands into wheels, and his butt into a trunk nose. It's very sensual. <laughs> Don't go to YouTube and look at the opening credits for Turbo Teen unless you're ready to be a little bit repulsed. But it's very interesting and funny. But Jennifer Marmer pulled these pictures. And and, and I would say, look, I, I wouldn't mind being compared to a cool car. Someone said, hey, there's John Hodgman. He looks like a, I don't know, what's a cool car, Jesse? A Jaguar? Mitsubishi Delica? Mm, no, I don't, think I'm a, I don't think I can carry a Mitsubishi Delica. I wish I could. I mean, you have very small wheels. That's true. But the but I will take this issue, first of all. The Christian Slater she's talking about is not late 90s. I think she wants to say late late 80s, early 90s Christian Slater. That's classic Christian Slater. Yeah. Jennifer Marmer, are these photos from late 90s or what period of Christian Slater are we looking at here? They're from late 90s. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I wanted to be true to the letter. Uh, I really appreciate One of them from that. Very Bad Things. The other one is from Bed of Roses. Thank you for doing the work that uh, Zoe refused to do. Yeah. No offense, Zoe. Not even sending in a photo. Now, here is a photo of the of a of a Subaru Impreza wagon, red, just like Zoe said. Do you know what model year this is, Jennifer Marmer? It's a nineteen ninety six. Nineteen ninety. That counts as late nineties, right? Sure. I think so. I will say, look, looking at it, I'm going to hold for a reveal in a second. Looking, looking, looking at this first photo, I'm definitely going to say. No, that doesn't look like Christian Slater to me. Does it look like Christian Slater to you, Jesse, from the front? It has a distinctive brow line, and I think that is the element that is closest to Christian Slater, who himself has a distinctive brow line. Yeah, but you know, but he has that smirk, and I'll tell you what, that second photo, if you look at that car from the car butt view, that looks like Christian Slater to me. So you think the butt of the car looks like Christian Slater? I think that looks like Christian Slater. I think that's a real, 
I get it. Now, it may be the power of suggestion. I went to a website called Gear Patrol just because I wanted to see other cars that looked like humans. Yeah. And Gear Patrol talked about a, a phenomenon called par parad... I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly. Paradolia, which is the human tendency to see human features in inanimate objects, including cars. And maybe it's because you put Christian Slater's uh, a face into my mind. But when I look at that rear view of the Subaru Impreza and that kind of jutting jawline of its bumper, and then the, the way the hatchback slicks back, I see Christian Slater there for sure. I don't know if you're seeing this in the photograph, but uh, I also noticed that like Christian Slater, there's a lot of junk in the trunk. <laughs> but Jesse, I, I shared with you a link to this Gear Patrol page, and I want to ask your opinion on something. Okay. If we navigate I've got the to link it, here. Yeah. You know, navigate to it using your browser. Sure. Now, there are a lot of cars in this article that seem to be smiling at you, including the incredibly adorable Austin Healey Sprite Mark I, which truly looks like a smiling Miyazaki character. Yeah, it truly, I was about to say uh, that it looks like Thomas the Tank Engine, perhaps because it's an Austin Healey, but yeah, oh, good point. Uh, you're right. It does look like a Miyazaki. It looks like the cat bus, uh, the face yes, of the cat bus it does. from Totoro. It does. But may I ask you to scroll all the way down, because I want your opinion on this. This okay. might just be my paradoilia or whatever talking, to the 2020 Toyota Highlander which is staring very grimly straight on in your face in this photo. Kind of scowling. Do you see it? Yeah, I see it. Is that Danny Trejo or no? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, why not? Sure. <laughs> That's Danny Trejo. I mean, it's probably my parabodorpidop where you put Danny Trejo into my mind. And you could have shown me a picture of Thomas the Tank Engine. I would have said it looked like I Danny didn't Trejo, put Danny but... Trejo into your mind. Iconic character actor Danny Trejo, known for his his rude tood and his tasty tacos. That's right. You know who looks like a Mitsubishi Delica to me? Who's that? The actor Richard Kind. Doesn't he kind of? <laughs> <laughs> well, they Square look the same and... in my heart because I love them both so much. I mean, like, if, I just, everyone, you know, after you pull over and whatever you're driving uh, and Google Richard Kind and Mitsubishi Delica and tell me if you don't think that beautifully top-heavy squared off Mitsubishi Delica doesn't look a little like Richard Kind's sweet, sweet head. Just tell me what you think. By the way, I was, I was before we move on, I was perusing the Wikipedia page for Turbo Teen. Uh huh. <laughs> Only good can come of this. Continue. <laughs> and under, under, the, under the section called reception, I quote: In the Encyclopedia of American Animated Television Shows, David Perlmutter writes: Despite a basis in somewhat plausible science, it was not produced competently enough to make its premise believable. David Perlmutter, what were you? He turns his hands into tires. What is the semi-plausible science? He turns his junk into trunk. <laughs> David Perlmutter, you got something to answer for, son. Here's something from Michelle. My dispute is with my father, Ken. He refuses to try guacamole. 
He's never eaten it, says it's gross, and he just knows he would hate it. Wow. The family has begged him to try it and promised that if he truly doesn't like it, we'll never bother him about it again. Please order my dad to try guacamole, as I cannot bear the idea he would live an entire life and never know. Really good, fresh guacamole. I agree that people like what they like, but... Can a man make that argument if he's never tried the subject in question? I submit he cannot. Uh-huh. What do you think, Jesse? Can a daughter oh, wow. force her father to try guacamole? I mean, John, I feel that as a native Californian and a millennial, <laughs> I have to <laughs> recuse myself from this conversation. You have a guacamole tap in your house, don't you? Yeah, exactly. I have hot and cold running guacamole. Every home in Los Angeles comes with a molcajete built in, the fam- yeah. the famous lava I rock mortar like, and pestle. You know those kind of soda machines that you find in a fast food restaurant with yeah. uh, six spigots, you know, for your Fanta and your so on and so forth? That's right. You're Mr. I have that, but for different colors of salsa. Oh! Salsa rojo, salsa verde. All the All the varieties, yeah. But on the other hand, guacamole, especially guaca pre- salsa. Have you ever had that? That's no, like a tomatillo it? salsa with some avocado in it. It's good. Oh, that sounds very good. You know what? Yeah, I'll try it. I'm young. Yeah. I'm sure. not set in my ways yet. Right, Michelle's dad. Mm-hmm. Look, guacamole is delicious. But on the other hand, it's green and gross. I mean, I could see how a person could grow up seeing only not so good guacamole. In, in various chain restaurants or supermarkets and be like, I don't want to put that avocado snot on my toast. I get it. But can you force someone to try something? You know, one time in, in, in my life, in our life as a, a, as a human family, we we're very, very, very fortunate to be offered free lodging in the city known as Venice, Italy. And we went. And if you ever have an opportunity to go to Venice, Italy, um, and I hope that we'll all have an opportunity to go somewhere else soon in the not too distant future. It's just one of the most, it's it's full of cliches and it's just equally so special and specific and magical. And in this city, there is a very famous dish called sardine and sour, which in the Venetian dialect means sardines in the flavor. And these are very, very Venetian dish of sardines that are fried and then marinated for a long time in vinegar and pine nuts. And they take on this gelatinous consistency uh, and they look gross. And I ordered them for the table the first night we got there. We had just gotten off the airplane and went to a restaurant and I ordered them and I looked at them and I said to my son, who was a young teenager at the time, 14, this is a very classic Venetian dish. I think we should try this. And he looked at it and he said, that looks gross. No, thank you. And he was right. He was, he was correct. He was correct. And I was very jet lagged and a little giddy to be in this new place. And I had this idea. I'm like, son, uh, uh, I used his name. I don't call him son. I said, would you take a bite if I gave you a 20 euro note that I just got out of the ATM at the airport? Now this made my wife extremely mad. Because this is, she doesn't like to bribe children for curiosity, for experimentation, for life. 
She was really, really offended by this. And she was also really mad because I, I lied to protect myself because the truth is it wasn't a 20 euro note. It was a 50 euro note. Wow. I just went nuts. I really wanted, I really wanted my son to try this fish. You just, you just bit in and locked on. Yeah. I'm just like, this has to happen. This, this, we're making a memory here. And he, and he looked at the 50 euro note. He's like, okay. And we both tried it and it was gross. I got to say, I'm sure. It, <laughs> I mean, he earned his 50 euros. That was a 50 euro bite for sure. And later, and he, that was the money that he got to spend in Venice and he, and he saved it and he held on to it until he blew it all on an extremely creepy Harlequin mask at the end of the trip, which now hangs on his wall, making memories. Yeah, you got to carry those nightmares with you. And I, f I still feel that this was a good exchange. I feel that, yes, one should encourage curiosity for its own sake. But, you know, s some people just don't want to try a thing. And it's part of their right as humans especially if they're an adult human, if they're 14 years old or your father to start saying, it's just not, I just don't want, I just mm, don't care for it. I've tried. I don't want to try it. I don't want to try it. Your father isn't a child. Your father may have missed out on very good guacamole. He certainly missed out on very bad guacamole, but I think that it's okay for him to not try guacamole to for him to set that limit. And I equally think that it's okay as two humans to make a bargain pay your father to try guacamole simple solution pay your dad now he's not 14 i don't think 20 or even 50 euros is going to do it for him since he's avoided this his whole life i don't know what do you think is a fair pay your dad to try guacamole price yeah, I mean, you're also going to have to pay a tax for the fact that he's going to have to figure out how, how much what you're paying him is, is worth in American dollars. Um, but <laughs> off the top of my head, I mean, I think if I were a dad or possibly grandpa, I would start very seriously considering abandoning my anti-guacamole principles around 100 euros. Yeah. You know, I know that... Uh, as an adult with an adult parent, I am sometimes looking for an opportunity to help support my adult parent, um, you know, to make some contribution to uh, my adult parents' uh, financial well-being in a way that doesn't suggest that they can't help themselves. Um, and, uh, you know, if I, if I slid mom a hundred euro note, which I definitely <laughs> keep on hand... I'd be glad to have the excuse. 100, 100 euros sounds fair to me, Michelle. That's the price. I mean, you have to consider this isn't just a matter of aversion to, you know, creamy vegetables. I can understand or or an aversion to the, fl the, the mild flavor of the avocado or an aversion to uh, <laughs> theoretically but not practically foreign foods. Or uh, cilantro, uh, or or an aversion to cilantro. This is for your father a matter of principle. So you have to pay him enough to to abandon his principles. That's right. We all have our purchasing point. As as a great man named Francis once said, "My dad says everything's negotiable." <laughs> <laughs> Here's the other reason. Francis. Here's the other reason why you have to dig deep, Michelle. 
Because when you say, we've promised that if he truly doesn't like it, we will never bother him about it again, you and I and the world know that's a lie. If he tries it and doesn't like it, you will bother him about it again. So you got to front load the payment for all of the aggravation you are going to cause him after he violates his principle as an adult human being for all of the bugging you're going to try to get him to do it again. But I just say 100 euro a pop. Go get a fresh 100 euro note from a European ATM if and when you can get one. And the truth is, my son and I made a memory that day. We both ate that gelatinous fish and he got a creepy mask. I don't see the problem. Yeah, it's a lot better than if you just spent it on an IMAX movie. That was the other option. The Some IMAX, IMAX movie about canals. The IMAX in Venice is the best. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. We're going to hear from this week's partner. We'll be back with more cases to clear from the docket on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Hello, I'm your Judge John Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is brought to you every week by you, our members, of course. Thank you so much for your support of this podcast and all of your favorite podcasts at MaximumFun.org. And they are all your favorites. If you want to join the many member supporters of this podcast and this network, boy, oh boy, that would be fantastic. Just go to MaximumFun.org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame. You can upload as many photos as you want, and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2024, 2024. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step by step, day by day, bird by bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. 
Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. Welcome back to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. We're clearing the docket and we have here a case from Julie. My husband goes to bed before I do on weeknights. Instead of saying goodnight, he's taken to saying bye. <laughs> I request an injunction on this sinister <laughs> habit and ask he instead be ordered to say goodnight like a normal person. Thank you for your time and consideration. P.S. I volunteered with you many times during the Georgia runoffs. It was so fun to see you on those calls, and I appreciate you and Zach keeping me politically involved. Thank you so much, listener Julie, and thank you again for listener Zach of those uh, great uh, Democrats of Somerville for roping me into some incredible Zoom rooms where we did a a bunch of uh, get-out-the-vote calls. It's good to be politically involved no matter what your political position is. But yeah, that is sinister, to say bye instead of goodnight. That... I was trying to think of a creepier thing to say, like goodbye forever. It just feels like, you know, I I don't know. I couldn't think of anything as creepy as bye. So weird. Goodbye. I now away to the land of dreams. Even that just feels like a, a cutesy act. Do you know what I mean? That, that feels like uh, what a couple of uh, Neil Gaiman lovers would say to each other before they go to bed. Yeah, that's true. Cute, cozy goth. What about you sleep, I'll watch. <laughs> what do you say when you say goodnight, Jesse, in your household to any anyone? What's it's like goodnight, sweet dreams, sleep tight? In my family, uh, we all say to each other, goodnight and good luck in tribute, <laughs> in tribute to the great Edward R. Murrow. That's a great thing to say. We sort of, our whole, our honestly, our whole life is a tribute to the journalistic values of the Tiffany Network. <laughs> In my family, usually my wife, I will say goodnight to my wife. She'll go to bed before me. And she will say in response, goodnight, please don't stay up until 2 a.m. trying to finish the terrible film adaptation of one of your favorite novels, Winter's Tale by Mark Halperin, that was created by a famous screenwriter, Akiva Goldsman. His, his sole directorial effort, it cast a bunch of very high-powered stars and is really almost makes you hate the thing you love. That's a terrible thing. Did you ever read Winter's Tale, Jesse? No, I haven't read Winter's Tale. When over the winter in Maine, I was picking up my mother-in-law. She was, she, she was staying with us. We were getting her out of the city. That's part of why we were in Maine. And she had gotten a book from the library and it was Winter's Tale by Mark Halperin. And I was like, that... That was one of my favorite books when I was in my 20s. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. I think it holds up. I don't know. I haven't read it since then, but I loved it. And she said, oh, well, I really loved Charles Dickens. And a, a, a person I respect said, of contemporary novels, this one is the only one you can really call Dickensian. And I said, oh, yeah, well, I get it because it's a novel about class and social position. It's got a cast of many people. It's a, got a, a beautiful romance uh, between an orphan 
and a and a, a woman who is who's suffering of tuberculosis. It is it has drama and melodrama. I said one thing that you may not. Um, and she's like, "Well, this sounds really great." And I said, "Well, what? Yeah, it's it's terrific. I really remember enjoying it so much when I was uh, in my twenties." And it's, and it's so much about New York too, and I miss New York. And then one thing though, um, I said to my mother-in-law, it has certain elements of magical realism in it. And she was like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, the main character has a horse and they discover the horse can fly. And at that moment, my mother-in-law got very silent, rolled down the window and threw the book out into the snow. That's not true, but it, it's clear that no, she returned it. Wilbur, <laughs> it's clear. I could hear her mind go, "Not for me, never mind." Like we had nothing. Like I love my mother-in-law, but this is so rare that she will take out a book that I was like, "I'm excited that you're reading this. I'd love to talk to you about it." It's got a horse that can fly. Funk. Nope. Anyway, Julie's husband, please say good night to your wife, Julie. She deserves not to be freaked out before going to bed. And unless and until he does so, Julie, you may take revenge by saying to him what the great, great, wonderful character Livia from I, Claudius says to her son before he leaves her. You may kiss me and take your leave. Yes, I'm watching I, Claudius again. Don't ask me how this happened. It's happening. I'm doing it anyway. Here's something from a listener who identifies himself as... You know, as soon as as soon as we get into the listeners giving their own uh, their own names, yeah, we know we're getting in trouble here. But let's see what it is. A listener who identifies himself as this is in all caps, Garden Dog. <laughs> One word, all caps, Garden Dog. My mom and dad have been married for thirty years. They don't want to go to court, but I hope you will weigh in. My mom is an essential worker at a hospital. When the pandemic started, they started sleeping in separate rooms for obvious reasons. Now that they have both been vaccinated, they're planning to sleep in the same room again. But I heard both my parents say they actually like sleeping in different rooms. They both go do stuff at night, like peeing. Then no one can sleep. Please tell them it is okay to sleep separately. That is okay if they want to. I suppose I could tell them. Sincerely, Garden Dog. <laughs> I'm just disappointed that Garden Dog didn't sign the letter with uh, their famous uh, catchphrase. Woof, woof. <laughs> uh, I can't believe I'm watching I, Claudius again. It just happened last night, Jesse. My son, the one from the other story that I talked about? Yeah. Now he's 15 now. We watched I, Claudius together at an age for him when it was wildly inappropriate and above his pay grade. But he loves I, Claudius. And then, you know, Max Fun Drive is coming up. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, you know, a couple of Max Fun Drives ago, I was talking about I, Claudius and watching it with my son. And and backed myself into a corner slash dare that if we reached a certain membership level, Elliot Kalin and I, and and then joined by Jordan Cowling, would do an iClaudius podcast called iPodius, 
And I had to do a whole separate podcast and I watched it again with my son. I felt that was good for me. I was good on iClaudius. But then just last night, my son says, I want to watch iClaudius again. And what am I going to say? No. What am I going to say? He's disappearing before my eyes. We've got to keep making these memories. If your son wants you to watch iClaudius with you, you got to sit down and watch iClaudius. It's still great. It's still great. I asked him to pay me 50 euros and he said, fine. That was our deal. No, I'd do it for nothing. But the thing about I, Claudius is that was the source of the maxim on Judge John Hodgman that it is okay for spouses to sleep in separate rooms. I became fascinated with the idea of spouses sleeping in separate rooms because, at least as uh, portrayed in the cardboard uh, rec room replica of Rome that is the I, Claudius set, spouses in ancient Rome or, or, around the turn of BCE to AD or whatever would sleep. They would have separate chambers and it just seemed so relaxing. And I said, you know, look, uh, you know, you deserve space when you sleep. And if you, if you have the space for it and the means for it, I highly recommend a king size bed. And if you have the space for it and the means for it, go full I Claudian and get separate king size beds in separate villas that are connected by a beautiful reflecting pool. That's the ideal way for a couple to sleep. Should I order this married couple of 30 years to sleep in separate rooms? It's for, I'm very torn by it, Jesse. This has always been a thought experiment and a joke, but now it's real. I, I don't take garden dogs request lightly. Woof, woof. <laughs> what do you think I should do? I think you should order a reflecting pool. <laughs> If you're going to order anything, <laughs> the reflecting pool, to have the reflecting pool in between is ideal because that way you never wake your partner up when you go to reflect. <laughs> they both do stuff at night, like peeing and reflecting. Yeah. Yeah, you can pee into the pool. I think you cannot order them to sleep in separate bedrooms. I don't think that Garden Dog despite their obvious authority on most matters, uh, has standing to ask you to order the parents to sleep in separate rooms. But I think you could order Garden Dog mm. to tell both parents, you've both expressed to me that you like sleeping in separate rooms and it does not reflect poorly on your love or your relationship to right. do so. So if that seems like a good situation to you, you should consider it and know that you won't be judged. I mean, look, Garden Dog's mom is an essential worker at a hospital. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I can't imagine how much rest Garden Dog's mom needed. Never mind the necessary isolation from the family in order to not transmit anything that she might be bringing home. And I can, I can appreciate why garden dogs, mom and dad, now that they're vaccinated, now that we're all starting to maybe begin to begin to begin to hope to feel that we're going to be able to get back together some way that we're going to be able to build a new and better normal that we're going to be able to eat sweet and sour sardines in another place sometime that they might feel some obligation 
to, you know, get back together, an obligation to sleep in the same room when their preference might be to keep it going the way it's going. And I think if there's one thing through this whole awful, tragic, unnecessary, painful experience of loss and trauma that we can take away from it is do whatever you want. Just do whatever you <laughs> do whatever you need in order to make your life bearable for you. I think if you, if that is your guiding principle, garden dogs, mom and dad and garden dog, I think that Jesse is absolutely right. Like if they are feeling an obligation to rejoin the marital bed, when in fact they sleep better in separate rooms, let them know, do whatever you want. If in their hearts, they kind of need to come back together again, even though there's going to be the peeing and the reflecting, do it, do what you need to do, but take, take a moment. I think one of the things we maybe got out of this, I hope, is a moment to really think about what we value as a country, as a civilization, and just in our personal lives. Like what, what, what is important for me? And to set some new guidelines uh, in the personal realm, at least, of do what you need to do. It's no big deal. Nobody has to do anything. What do you think about that, Jesse? You know, during this past year, my father died. Yeah. And I've thought a number of times about a car ride that I took with my dad. And it was in my El Camino. I've had two El Caminos. This was my 82, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and we were riding in the El Camino. And the I road. had... Yeah, I had on the stereo. Only car named after a road. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I'm interrupting your probably heartbreaking story about your dad with some car talk jokes. I apologize. Please, I, I will step back. Um, I, I, was, I was driving my El Camino with my dad in the, in the passenger seat. And I had on uh, the stereo an album called The Dude by a rapper named Devin the Dude. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking about this earlier today as I was listening to this album. This CD is like the CD that's in my car for when something's wrong with my Bluetooth. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and I was listening to this song called Do What You Want to Do by Devin. And Devin is a rapper who raps almost exclusively about uh, marijuana cigarettes and kissing and hugging mm-hmm mm -hmm. i understand but he's also a real sweetheart two two things that are legal in many states now yeah and um you know the theme of that song which is a really wonderful song is um basically do what you want you're grown and in fact the the chorus as do what you want you're grown you make decisions on your own um no one's no one will suffer but you so do what you want to do i'm leaving out a few profanities but sure. that's <laughs> that's it right and my dad who you know my dad was not particularly a hip-hop fan he was probably 65 years old something right. like that at this point you know he turned to me and he said i left out some profanities before but you'll have to bleep this one jennifer he turned to me and he said you know jesse this is a good song mm-hmm and every time I hear that song, I think of my dad saying, 
what he said about it. But I also think of this kind of received wisdom from my dad, which was, you know, my dad was certainly not someone who was dismissive of others. My dad was a professional organizer and activist his entire life. You know, he was he was an organizer. He really deeply cared about others. Um, but I think the thing that ultimately resonated for him about that song was that he had had some terms of his life dictated uh, by forces that he could not control, his parents, uh, his time in the Navy, um, and so forth. And I think that a big part of him liberating himself to be happy was giving himself permission to make the choices that he wanted to make for yep. him and his life. Yep. And that doesn't have to be a matter of, of not being caring. Um, so I'm very, I'm very grateful to him to have turned and said that goofy thing to me as this uh, wonderful, but you know, slightly goofy song played. And so if, if, you're a, if you're out there and you're a person comfortable with immense amounts of profanity, um, <laughs> <laughs> I really recommend that song. Uh, it's the song that I've actually found myself turning to for comfort. Uh, when I have been really sad uh, over the past year, which has been plenty of times. Um, and uh, and it reminds me of, of my dad and him, him turning to me and saying that. So yeah. it's it's wonderful advice in, in almost any situation, as long as you're the kind of person who by default considers others. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, I I, I would argue that you don't like one of the things that we might have thought before this experience is you have to be like Michelle's dad, Ken, of a certain age to earn the right to say, I want to do this. I don't want to do this. I know what I want to do with my life and I don't want to be pushed around by external forces or even the expectations that I've put on myself, you know, but you don't have to be an older guy to say, no, I'm not going to eat that guacamole unless you give me 100 euros. Set the own terms of your life. It's the only one you have. You create a life of meaning for yourself by taking a moment to check in with what is really meaningful to you. And when you do, that is not inconsistent with being caring for others. If anything, I think that it enhances caring for others because you appreciate that everyone is doing their own math in terms of what what do I got to get paid to eat this guacamole, to do this thing that I don't want to do? And how do I make sure that I do the things enough, that I have enough time in my life to do the things that I do want to do? And if you also want a song that has less swear words in it, but has a similar message, there's also Do What You Like by Digital Underground. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we turn <laughs> for expert opinion to a famous bassoonist. That's right. <laughs> the, the only way this could possibly we could possibly deliver on this is if it turns out that like uh, George Clooney plays the bassoon on this side. <laughs> why we'll be why, back in just you know a what? second. Stick around and find out. Yeah. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? 
absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Here's a case from Matt. My wife and I have a dispute which, to my surprise, has not been settled on your podcast. She claims vanilla is the absence of flavor. What? E.g., you are so vanilla. I say it is a flavor and one of the best flavors. Now, Jesse, I think it was a couple of times ago that I was like, you know what? We can't let our podcast become simply a fan podcast for the podcast, The Doughboys. Yeah. I can't. Obviously, are they more successful than us? Yes. Obviously. Yes. Are they more talented than us? Probably. Well, here's the thing. I think they're like, like all, they're like a virus. They just yeah. get in my head and I just want to listen to those doughboys. Like a good kind of virus where you want to spread it around. You want to you want to give the doughboys virus to people because I have to say, you know, there's very little that has given me as much comfort as listening to these two guys, Mike Mitchell and Nick Weiger, review chain Carl restaurants and fast Jr. food restaurants <laughs> badly. <laughs> and yell at each other and then love each other. It's just yeah. it's just one of the greatest chemistries of all time. And of course, in the Doughboys expanded universe, you know a couple of things. Mike Mitchell is from Quincy, Massachusetts. Nick Weiger is a Southern California surf surfer dude who's a little bit of a heat seeker. He likes spicy food. He is also famously, famously played bassoon in his high school band. That's why I nicknamed him Double Reed. And mm -hmm. gets very angry when people say that vanilla is the absence of flavor. Nick Weiger opens the Doughboys with a historical take on whatever they're reviewing that day. I got him to do a little clip here on, on vanilla for us. The vanilla plant, native to South and Central America, is painstakingly hand-pollinated by growers, and according to a 2017 Smithsonian Magazine piece, natural vanilla sells for about $300 a pound. So why is this expensive exotic bean also considered boring? It turns out vanilla is slang for plain didn't come into common usage in the U.S. until after the sexual revolution, when 70s swingers used the word to mock conventional sex. Vanilla, then, meant conventional or default, not plain. Over time, the sexual association faded and vanilla became a generality for all things dull. But, and this is key, the food industry still makes a distinction. 
Note the separation between plain and vanilla when it comes to, say, almond milk or Greek yogurt. Vanilla may be conventional, but it is not synonymous with plain. Vanilla is a flavor. I have Boom. never been able to decide all these years. And, you know, Nick and Mike are both, my, I consider them both actual friends of mine. And I, I love them both. And while I've known Mike longer, I think we can all agree that I'm probably more of a Weiger. But I have never been able to decide whether I think uh, Nick does a great job of those complicated written pieces or a bad job. <laughs> there was a little some. There's a little, and I think Weiger will appreciate this. There was a little something AI about what was going on there. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> he has a vaguely text-to-speech quality, Nick yeah. Weiger. It feels like I a computer wrote that. I, you know, Nick Weiger is not the only uh, beloved celebrity podcaster who loves vanilla the flavor. Uh, yep. Our friend Jimmy Pardo from Never Not Funny is has been on record for 15 years on his show that his favorite flavor of ice cream is vanilla. Uh, and that vanilla is a flavor. And in fact, before vanilla ice cream existed, before vanilla became widely available enough to be the default flavor of ice cream, ice cream had a basic dairy milky flavor. Is that uh, so? And that, yeah. And that flavor is Ugh. different from the flavor of vanilla. I mean, Jennifer Marmer is nodding right now. And the reason is that she and I are both ice cream enthusiasts who make ice cream. So she knows there's a big difference. That's yeah, a sweet cream. Yeah, there's sweet a big difference cream. between sweet cream ice cream and vanilla ice cream, and they're both wonderful. Sweet cream is plain ice cream without vanilla. Just it's just unflavored ice cream. Is that correct, Jennifer Marmer? Yeah, I used to it's get uh, got some sugar. But... Yeah, no, right. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. I used to get that at J.P. Licks in in, in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. That was some good stuff. But vanilla is look. I'll tell you one thing. There's only one podcaster in Brooklyn. And he also loves vanilla. That's me. And I'll say one other thing to Matt and Matt's wife. It doesn't take long on the vanilla Wikipedia page to appreciate that this is an exotic bean with a long and, I mean, a long and problematic history that is prized throughout the world because it only comes from a single plant, the vanilla orchid. It is very difficult to pollinate. It has to be hand pollinated even to this day. And when you try to say that vanilla is nothing, then you're erasing Edmund Albius, the black man, who at the age of 12, when he was a boy, invented a more efficient way to hand pollinate the vanilla orchid in 1841 that is still used today, thus making the worldwide vanilla bean trade possible. His discovery was so significant that the French white botanist Jean-Michel Claude Richard tried to steal credit for Albius's pollination technique for years took credit tried to steal this steal the credit for this technique and only recent has edmund albius's botanical innovation been properly credited to him so matt's wife do not erase edmund albius and this history just because uh your imagination is bland bland like a flavorless ice cream sweet cream bland imagination (laughs) you know john i like complicated ice creams and i love all ice cream but there's a part of me that thinks at any moment a switch could flip in my head and I'll just turn into the grandpa from Mad Men eating vanilla ice cream with salt on it. Oh, I forgot about that. I'm going to do that tonight. I think it was chocolate ice cream, but it's Oh, was still- it? 
Yeah. Well, then Jesse just invented a new thing. <laughs> oh, van- vanilla ice cream with some big yeah. old flakes of salt. I may never come back. That may be it for me. I'm retiring. Go. I love a malted milk ice cream too. Anyway, let's get let's. This is not ice cream talk any more than it's El Camino talk. Uh, did you get any letters this week that were not disputes? And specifically, did you get any letters that were I don't know photographs of young people in 1948 eating Cheez-Its? Yes, of course I did. Of course I did. But before we get to that, I want to say thank you to the many, many, many listeners who wrote in regarding pineapple on pizza, which I had said probably started in Hawaii. But in fact, the blame lies in Canada. Listener Jen wrote in to say, I'm sure you've heard from approximately two, two, I don't know how to say this number, 230-948-230-98 people about pineapple on pizza. So delicious, according to listener Jen. Yet I feel I'd be remiss if I didn't send along John Green's excellent episode of the Anthropocene Reviewed which is another podcast. You know what? Here at Maximum Fun, we spread it around. Different, that's on, that's a WNYC podcast. We love podcasts. We love podcasters. John Green got there first. He explained the whole origin of pineapple on pizza coming from Greek immigrants living in Canada. Go take a listen at WNYC.org, my local in Brooklyn, New York, uh, public radio station. Now, we also heard from Kelly about Cheez-Its. Jesse, she shared a photo of her dad this is a photo of her dad at his second birthday in 1948, pictured in looking at his cake, but on the table as well, two 1948 era boxes of Cheez-Its. And I want you to take a look at this kid and how happy he is, 1948. This kid, you never seen a more delighted look on a child's face as he sits literally in front of a white picket fence. A big cake with two candles on it and a box of cheese that's being raided by, I believe, his sister. His sister. Yeah, yeah, his sister, Christine. Uh, Kelly, who wrote in, does not know who the incredibly cool kid who's standing behind the two of them, who's just, just wearing pants, suspenders, and no shirt is. That's an incredible I even, look. I got to be honest with you. I think that those pants are not held up by suspenders. I think those are just laces. I think those pants are laced up by the suspender buttons. Well, it's it's an incredible moment in time here in the very, very small town of Endicott, Washington, Whitman County. Current population 305, then population about 600, 1948. Jesse, look at this kid. Can you guess what this kid's name is? I can't. I have no guess. Jimmy James. (laughs) The man's so nice they named him twice. Just like Stephen Root's character on news radio. But this guy, <laughs> this kid is owning the name Jimmy James so hard in this photo. And very sadly, I have to say, I asked, because I was like, is your father still living? Could we get a photo of him eating some Cheez-Its today? Because Cheez-Its are better than cheese nips. That's what started this whole thing. Yeah. And Kelly wrote back to say, very sadly, Jimmy James died unexpectedly of a heart attack at the age of 40, 1988. And she sent a photo of him (laughs) depicting him in what she describes as, quote, in peak manhood. And I have to say, (laughs) I totally agree with her. 
Jimmy James killed it as a two-year-old. Jimmy James killed it in peak manhood. Look at those Cheez-Its cheeks. What a great guy. What an incredible tie. What an incredible jacket. All these Look photos. The smirk on his face. This, guy's a, this guy was a regular Christian Slater. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what he, I don't know what car he looks like, but I'll tell you something, Jesse, that you're going to not deny. Steven Root, the actor who plays Jimmy James, P.T. Cruiser, full stop. You know it's true. Sure. In any case, Sold. all these photos will be available over at the Judge John Hodgman page at MaximumFun.org, where you'll find news of upcoming Max Fun drives. Just a little tease. You can also go and subscribe, if you will, please, to the Judge John Hodgman Instagram account at Instagram.com slash Judge John Hodgman. If you're an Instagram user, it would be lovely if you wanted to not only like any of these photos because they're very likable, but you could also save them or send them to a friend or comment in more than four words. Guess what? I guess I've been told that helps with the algorithm. Anyway, go check out the incredible Jimmy James over there. You may notice in the corner of one of the photos, there's a bit of a handwritten card. And I asked listener Kelly what that was. And she said that it was a poem that accompanied a gift that Jimmy James's grandmother gave him for his for this second birthday and maybe just maybe I will read this poem as a surprise post credit sequence after the episode but meanwhile Jesse is the docket clear it is that's it for another episode of Judge John Hodgman our producer is the wonderful Jennifer Marmer you can follow us on Twitter at Hodgman and at Jesse Thorne we are as John mentioned on Instagram at Judge John Hodgman make sure to hashtag your Judge John Hodgman tweets hashtag JJHO and check out the Maximum Fun subreddit MaximumFun.reddit.com to discuss this episode we need your cases today and every day Go to MaximumFun.org slash JJ Ho, or just email them to Hodgman at MaximumFun.org. And we'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Surprise post-credit sequence. I'm sure you're surprised. <laughs> no, you're not. This is now, the post-credit sequence is now a fixture of the Judge John Hodgman podcast universe, the JJ Ho PU. I've now made new homework for myself. Good job, Hodgman. Anyway, I'm very happy to join you here after the credits for a little extra content because what I have for you is the poem, as my father-in-law pronounces it, the poem that Jimmy James's grandmother, Kelly's great-grandmother, wrote to accompany her gift to Jimmy James on his second birthday that he enjoyed I don't think he probably read it himself. It was probably read to him while he was stuffing his face with Cheez-Its. A week ago, it came to me. Soon two years old, our James will be. I'll make a sweater like his eyes, blue as Whitman County skies. I knitted early. I knitted late. I got it done at any rate. Pickles not made and fruit not canned. Dust grew thick on every hand. And still I purled and knit and cabled. All other work for the time was tabled. I know this verse is pretty hammy, but it comes with lots of love from Grammy. Oh, man. Good job, Grammy James. God or whoever, speed both of you, Jesus Cheeks and Grammy James. That was a beautiful poem. 
And, and I, Jimmy James, I hope you wore that sweater because those pickles did not get made and that fruit did not get canned. Talk to you next time. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.